0: Take your Bibles this evening and turn to Genesis chapter 22, Genesis 22, and our Bibles together. I want to look at a narrative just for a short while together as we prepare our hearts to partake of the Lord's Supper and uh, really to obey uh, the command of our Lord Jesus Christ to us. You remember in the upper room, the night he was betrayed, the next day Jesus would be crucified on the cross. All of these things were in his mind, forefront of his mind. He was saying goodbye to those men who he loved so much. And uh, and yet he knew ultimately to save them, he needed to go to the cross and to become their sin so that they could be made the righteousness of God in him. And uh, so there was much on his mind. And so we prepare our hearts for the seriousness of the Lord's Supper. I think it would be good for us to look at a passage in Genesis chapter 22, because there's a picture picture um, of Jesus' sacrifice, his dying for us. You know, there's a lot that can be communicated through a picture, isn't there? But yet the picture is not the real thing. It's a picture of the real thing. It's not the real thing. If I were to show you a picture of my family and say, This is my family, um, well, you would understand what I mean by that, right? This is not my family in, on a piece of paper, but it's or in digital copy, but it is a picture of my family, representation of my family, and that's what we find in Genesis chapter 22. There's a representation, a picture here, of, of an amazing event, the most amazing event in all of human history, God sending his son to die a sacrificial death for the sins of the whole world. And in Genesis chapter 22, we find an emotional story packed with emotion, actually. And there's a lot of drama in this story as well. In fact, uh, if you've ever had a conversation with, as a parent with your child about this story, it makes for some very, very interesting questions. And uh, it really stresses the parent a little bit on coming up, how do I explain this? So let's read it. Genesis chapter 22. I'll begin reading in verse number number one. Genesis 22, beginning in verse one, I'll read down through verse 14. It says, And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham. Now, the Bible says that God does not tempt with evil. He cannot be tempted and he does not tempt with evil. does not lead people to sin. Uh, We know that God does not participate in sin. He cannot sin. But here it says that he tempted Abraham. Well, what does that word tempt mean? It means to test, put Abraham to a test. And he said unto him, Abraham, he said, behold, I am here. And he said, take now thy son, thine only son, Isaac, whom thou lovest and get thee into the land of Moriah, And offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. What's Abraham going to do? God speaks to him. He gives God, who is holy, gives Abraham a command. Take your only son. The one that I promised you that I would make out of your son a great nation. You remember you were old and your wife was old and there was no way you were going to have any more children. But I gave you a child anyway. And here he is. His name is Isaac. You don't have a great nation. I haven't fulfilled my promise yet to make a great nation out of your son. And now God is saying to Abraham, take your only son up to Mount Moriah. And I want you to sacrifice him there as a burnt offering. How do you respond to that? What would your response be? Now we know the story. Most of us here we know the the story. Maybe a better question would be: Is how are we responding to the commands that God is giving us today, this week? The things that He's made very plain to us. How are we responding to those things? Look how Abraham responds in verse three. And Abraham rose up early in the morning. He didn't sleep in. Push the snooze button. It doesn't seem. And he saddled his ass and took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, and clave the wood for the burnt offering, and rose up and went unto the place of which God had told told him no delay verse four. then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. You can imagine the anxiety over those three days. One thing that I'm realizing more and more as I grow older in life is that, um, I used to, I think, read stories like this in the Bible, narratives in the Bible, and it was, I, I had a hard time connecting with what they must have gone through. You know, it just says Abraham did what God said, end of story, you know, why why elaborate on that, you know? Why? But when I think about it, three days drawing closer to making your son a burnt sacrifice, day two. And there's nothing to distract you. No uh, iTunes or radio or shows or newscasts following me. Just you and your donkey and a couple other men spread out of the ways apart, probably not talking, just a lot of thinking. It could have been torturous, I think. He goes on in verse number five, And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship, and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac, his son, and he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and they went both of them together. And Isaac spake unto Abraham, his father, and said, My father, and he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood But where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, my son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. And so they went, both of them together. They came to the place which God had told him of. And Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. Some. Scholars believe Isaac was as young as five and some as old as 35, 36 years of age. I think it's unlikely that he was five. I think it'd probably more in his teenage years or maybe his 20s. It says there that he bound him and laid him on the altar upon the wood. Verse 10, and Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel, the messenger of the Lord, called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God. Seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son from me. Let's pray together, and then I want to look at this passage because I really, when I look at this narrative, I think there are two parts to it. There's there's the part that Abraham had to play, and there's the part that God played, and that is true to this day. There's a part that you have to play, that I have to play in this life, and there's a part that God plays. And we'll also, as we look at it, these two parts will also see the picture of our Lord Jesus Christ being sacrificed for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us, I pray, as we look at your word, a challenging challenging narrative, you asking a dad to be willing to kill his own son. Lord, I pray that we'd not miss the truth that is in this passage. I pray that it would grip our hearts as I believe it gripped Abraham's heart and gripped Isaac's heart. And even our Lord Jesus Christ's heart as he gave himself for us. I, may, I pray they would grip ours too. I ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. What does it mean, do you think, to love God above everything else? To love God supremely? In Matthew 22, Jesus talked about this. In verse 37, he said unto, unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul. And with all thy mind, in verse 39, he went on to say, and thou shalt, the second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. You know, love is costly. Love costs something. We quote the passage in John 3:16 uh, easily, for God so loved the world. But love, sacrificial love like this is costly. It costs something. Love like that cost God something. His love for you and for me. You might remember this morning, and I just read the passage of scripture out of John chapter 14. But in verse 31, Jesus, as he talked to his disciples before he told them to all, let's all arise and go, and do what my father has called me and commanded me to do in giving my life and laying my life down for you and for indeed for the sins of the whole world. He made a, he made a statement about his love for his father. And one of the reasons Jesus Christ went to the cross was for this. He said, but that the world may know that I love the Father. That was one of the reasons he went to the cross, that the world would know that he, Jesus, loved his Father. We're supposed to love him that way. He went on to say, and as the Father gave me commandment, even so I do. And it comes back again to, and Jesus said this, to us repeatedly in that passage so far in our study in John chapter 14. But if you're going to love me, you're going to obey me. And you show me that you love me by how you obey me. And here, Jesus, at the end of that passage in John 14, he's by his own life saying this is the way you're supposed to love. You're to love your father. You know, love, genuine love, agape love, costs something. It's going to cost us something if we're going to love God supremely. I think it's really impossible to love the world that we live in and to love God at the same time. Can't love both. It's impossible to love yourself. It's impossible for me to love myself and love God at the same time. I'm going to have to choose one or the other. You know, Abraham is known as the father of the Hebrew nation, a nation that God had chosen to play a very important part in God's plan for the world it was out of the nation of Israel that God had chose to give us the Bible. It was out of the nation of Israel that God chose to give us a savior. And God was going to bring the greatest of blessings to the earth through the nation of Israel. And he did that. And God had made tremendous promises to Abraham. And all of those promises were dependent upon the promise son, a son, Isaac. All of the promises God had made to Abraham were dependent upon this boy, Isaac. And finally, it came to pass. Abraham's wife became pregnant. It was a miracle. And then she was able to carry the baby to full term and give birth to the baby successfully. And there's the baby, a baby boy. They've had a baby boy. This is a miracle. God has promised and God has kept his word. And here is the baby. And now we're starting to believe that you're Abraham. I'm starting to believe, you know, God might just make, he, he's going to do this. He's going to make a nation out of my son. Look at verses 1 and 2 again of chapter 22. And it came to pass after these things that God did test, tempt, test is the word Abraham, and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, I here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest. God knew that Abraham loved this boy. And get thee into the land of Moriah and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. I think one of the main reasons God did this in Abraham's life, not only was to test him, but it also is so that we can go back. It's a gripping narrative. It helps us understand some of the emotion that must have gone into God sending his only son to be sacrificed for the sins of the whole world. I think when we think of God sending His only Son, I think it's kind of hard for us to understand or to comprehend what that must have been like. To judge, to pour out His wrath upon His only Son, His righteous Son. I think it's a little hard for us, because we're talking about God, and we're talking about the Trinity, God the Father and God the Son. And after all, how can the Son, who is equal with God, love the Father and obey Him? Isn't it His will? I mean, you tell me where the will separates. So it's a little hard for us to comprehend this love, this loving relationship, and how the father must have loved the son and how the son loved and obeyed the father even to his own death. But pretend you don't know the rest of the story. And what God was asking Abraham to do was to take a knife and to place that knife up against your only son, your beloved child's throat, and to offer your child as a burnt offering on a lonely mountain called Moriah. But God had a plan. You know, God always has a plan. God had a plan for Abraham and Isaac. God had a plan from before the beginning of time to redeem mankind, to pay for our sin. He knew all of our sins. For the whole world, he knew them, and he had a plan. And he has a plan for your life, and he has a plan for my life. And things are right on schedule. Things are going according to plan. And he had a plan, he had a purpose for Abraham's life. Around 2,000 years before Jesus Christ came to earth, God chose to present to us an emotional picture of the salvation that God was going to provide for all of mankind and. And we might ask ourselves the question can we understand a God? Can we understand a God like this? A God who is willing to give his only begotten Son for men and women who had rebelliously sinned against him? We, we, I asked you the question what if you had been in Abraham's shoes? Would you have been willing to offer your Son as a sacrifice? And all of us here are saying, don't call on me, Pastor Ferguson. You're going to be disappointed with me. So I won't. But Abraham pictured God the Father willingly offering his own son in your place and in mine. We're reminded of that tonight. There are really two sides to this story. First of all, I see Abraham's side, and I'll not be long. I noticed Abraham's side of the story was to love God supremely and to trust the Lord completely. This is a truth that is all through the Bible, cover to cover. Love God supremely and trust him completely. Say, I want to serve the Lord. I want to be used of God in my place of work. I want to serve the Lord. I want to be used of God within This local assembly of born again believers that God has joined together, whom God has saved, who God is in the process of saving, of sanctifying. uh, Pastor, I want to be used of God. Okay, Um, I want to be used of God. I'm a dad. I'm a mom. I'm a I'm a young person. I'm a teenager. I'm a I'm a child. Pastor Ferguson, I want to be used of God. Here's how. Love the Lord supremely and trust him completely. How do we know that Abraham loved God supremely? How do we know this? Well, look at verse 3. I see that Abraham obeyed God immediately. He obeyed God immediately. Look at verse 3. And Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his ass and took two of his young men with him. And Isaac, his son, and clave the wood for the burnt offering and rose up. And went under the place of which God had told him. He did not obey God. A month later, or a week later, or a year later. I mean, if you had received a command like this, right? You should see some of your faces. I don't think so. Not going to. Some of you are shaking your heads. Not everyone's afraid to move a muscle. But I know that Abraham loved God supremely because he obeyed him immediately. By the way, young people, when you obey your parents right away and you honor them, it's a a way of showing your parents you love them. Did you know that? Just like Jesus, as the son, loved and obeyed his father. Isn't that wonderful? You know that you can be like Jesus in that way as a young person, by obeying your parents, showing them that you love them? I, I know that Abraham loved God supremely because he obeyed him immediately. He obeyed God right away. He loved God supremely. John 14, verse 15, we've been learning this. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. How do we know that Abraham loved God supremely. Secondly, we know that he loved him supremely because Abraham worshipped God unquestioningly. He worshipped God unquestioningly. Look at verse number five. It says this, And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. What, What had God asked Abraham to do? Look back to verse two. He said, take now thy son, thine only son, whom thou lovest, and get thee unto the land of Moriah. The word Moriah there means chosen by Jehovah. I'll talk about that a little bit later. And offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. Is it costly to love God? I ask again. And again, I submit to you, yes, it is costly to love the Lord. Should we resent the cost of loving God supremely? Should we covet an easier cross to bear? Have you ever coveted and found yourself coveting some, an easier path? Have you, have you ever found that? Maybe in, we don't think of it as a cross, but have you ever thought to yourself, I wish I didn't have to go through this? Or, I wish there was an easier way. I wish I didn't have to do this. Um We shouldn't uh, covet an easier cross to bear. Should we resent that God desires for us our very best? Should we resent that God wants to be glorified through us, that he wants to be honored? And I submit to us, no. Romans 12 and verse 1 says, I beseech you, Paul wrote to that church, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. How do we know that Abraham loved God supremely? Well, because he worshiped God unquestioningly. He just did it. Thirdly, I notice Abraham hoped in God confidently. He hoped in God confidently. Look at verse number six. So he leaves his men there in verse five with the donkey, and he and Isaac, they go to worship the Lord. In verse six, it says this. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac, his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and they went both of them together. This is a picture of Christ, by the way. And Isaac spake unto Abraham, his father, and said, My father. And he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went, both of them, together. Abraham hoped in God confidently. If I were to ask you tonight, are you hoping in the Lord? Do you hope in the Lord? Most of us would say yes. But I submit to you that Abraham hoped in the Lord with confidence, with an air of confidence, an air of expectation. In other words, Abraham expected God to show himself strong. You know that? That's different than how I go through life sometimes. I'm hoping in the Lord, but I know this isn't going to work out. Abraham hoped in the Lord with an air of confidence. He he knew God was going to provide what was necessary. And to some degree, and we know from the book of Hebrews, Abraham expected that if he had to put his son to death, he expected that God would raise his son from the dead. Abraham was willing to go all the way. That's huge. I'm so thankful that our Heavenly Father was willing to go all the way. He knew what it would take. and He was willing to do the hard thing for what it would take. We live in a generation today where I don't know If it's the norm that we're willing to go all the way to do the hard things. Now, remember, God's promise to Abraham was to be fulfilled through Isaac. Remember, Isaac could not bear children if he was dead in the ground. Uh, And so Abraham here is he's expecting God to raise him from the dead. So I noticed, first of all, Abraham's side was to love God supremely and to trust God completely. But then there's God's side of this story. And I think it's important that we consider both. And before I move on to that, isn't it wonderful, though, what we read in verse seven, where Isaac asks his father uh, the question, um, how does he put it there? He says, my father, and he said, here am I, my son. And and Isaac, the the boy says, behold, the the fire in the wood, and where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And notice what the father is able to tell his son. He said, my son, God will provide himself a land. Isn't that wonderful? Here you have a son. And again, I don't know how old he was. Maybe he was younger. Um, Maybe he was a teenager. I don't know. But he had a question. Dad, we have part of what we need, but we're missing the most important part. And isn't it wonderful that a father could be so in tune with the Lord, trusting in God, that he was able to give an answer like this? Uh, My son, God will provide. There are some dads in this room, and not just dads with children in the home, but dads with children outside of the home. There are many dads in this room here this evening. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we would be like Abraham in this way? That so when our children ask us a question, Dad, why do we do this? Or Dad, what are we going to do about this? Sometimes they see us as fathers and we're vexed, or we we all as fathers show our vexation a little bit differently. Sometimes it comes out with anger, and sometimes it comes out with worry and fretting and uh, disappearance and all kinds of different ways. I suppose it's shown. Wouldn't it be great if we, as dads, could be a testimony like this to our sons and our daughters? That when the questions come through their minds, Dad, we've got a problem here. We have we have fire and we have wood, but we don't have the lamp. We could look at our sons and our daughters and say with confidence, we know God is going to provide. Dad, what are you going to do in this situation? You know, I don't know know exactly what we're going to do, but I know this. God is going to provide. God is going to make a way. So let's look at God's side to this narrative. God's side was to see the needs and to provide for them. Now, Don't miss this. Abraham's side was to love God supremely and to trust God completely. You and I are in those shoes. God's side of this narrative was to see the needs and to provide for the needs. Look at verse number eight in our passage. And Abraham said, my son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. And so they went, both of them together. Skip down to verse 14. And Abraham called the name of the place Jehovah Jireh, as it is said to this day in the mount of the Lord, it shall be seen. So God's side of the story was to see the need and to meet the need. And, you know, as I mentioned before, God always has a plan and he always has a purpose. In verse 14, Abraham called the name of the mountain what? Jehovah Jireh. Jehovah Jireh, which means God sees. It does not literally mean God provides. It means we're a place that God sees. Where do we get the idea of God provides or the idea of provision? Well, the end of verse 14 does not say it shall be provided. Where do we get the idea of provision? Well, think about the word provision for just a moment. Pro means before vision. Sees to see video vision, right? We see pro before see to see before. Before the need arose, before the need was ever here, God saw the need. And and God made provision to meet the need. Provision is God seeing the need before the need is there. And God working to provide for the need before we ever realize we have a need. God's side to this story was to provide a ram in the place of Isaac. And those who love God supremely can expect God to see their needs and meet those needs at the very moment they're needed. Had Abraham, by the way, not loved God supremely, he wouldn't have been on Mount Moriah with his son Isaac, and he would never have experienced God's provision. Are you you following along with what I just said? So if you and I are going to experience God's provision, we need to be willing to love him supremely and to obey him completely. You see, Abraham and Isaac were in a place to experience God's amazing provision because of their obedience, their supreme, their their complete obedience and their their love for the Lord. Abraham called the name of the mountain Jehovah Jireh. You see it there in verse 14. The place was called God will always see my need before I see it. That's in essence what he, he named it. God will always see my need before I see it. And by the time I see I have a need, I can know that God has already made a provision for the need. And some of us here this evening just need to rest in that. You say, I don't know, Seth, I've got a whole list of things that I don't have answers to. Or a whole lot of things taking place in my life. There's a lot of what ifs. Okay, great. You're you're at the place where you see you have a need. We'll learn from Abraham and learn from Isaac and learn from the God of Abraham and Isaac, who is your God and my God as well. He's the God of the Bible, Old and New Testament. He is the God who sees the need. By the time we even realize we have a need, he has already, he has already started to make provisions for those needs. What did God see on that mountain all these years ago, about 4,000 years ago? Well, God saw some amazing things on that mountain. God saw a broken hearted father on that mountain. I can only imagine the grief that Abraham endured through this test. Three days. One donkey, some servants, and his son. His only son. I can only imagine his turmoil and grief when he raises the knife and Verse number nine, it says this. And they came to the place which God had told him of. And Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar and upon the wood. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. Can you imagine the grief? We we read about the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? We we, we, that grief resonates with us. We don't fully comprehend it, but we can know that he was hurting. We don't often consider the grief of the father, God the father. What it must have done to him to turn his back on his own son, to pour out his judgment, to justify his righteous indignation and wrath against sin upon his only begotten son. But in Abraham's grief, God reveals to us that God saw the emotional turmoil that he was going through. He was going to go through in sending his son to die. Think about this. 2,000 years before Jesus ever came, you have God giving us a picture of what he knew he would go through, sending his son to this sin-cursed earth. And God knew, God saw on Mount Moriah these things. I also noticed that he saw a submissive son. In verse number nine, the middle part, it says there that he bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. God saw not only a broken hearted father in himself, but he saw a submissive son. Isaac allowed himself to be bound. Now, again, it's thought, it's thought by some that Isaac could have been as old as 36 years old. I don't know how old he was. Isaac could have resisted if he would have been a a teenager in his 20s or in his 30s. He could have resisted his father, but we don't find that in the passage. We can only imagine that question that Isaac questioned his father. Dad, why? Why, Dad? Um, Dad, you've told me about how God made you a promise. And that I was that promise that he made to you. And, and God, uh, Dad, you've told me that God promised that out of me he would make you a great nation. I don't know if he asked all those questions. It's not in the passage. I wonder if he asked. He was a man like you and me. Cole, how would you respond to something like this? Teenager. How would you respond your father in a situation like this had had you been in isaac's shoes isaac is a type he's a he's a picture of christ and isaac we know submitted to the will of his father in the garden of gethsemane in luke 22 and verse 42 jesus said father if thou be willing remove this cup from me nevertheless not my will but thine be done even jesus himself and not in sin in any way but as a human being Jesus, understanding Christ, comprehending all that was going to come upon him, says, if thou be willing, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. We see the submissiveness of the son. And God saw all of this 2000 years before Jesus came to this earth. He saw a brokenhearted father. He saw a submissive son. He saw a temple built in Jerusalem. It's thought that the location where Abraham built the altar became the location of the altar in the temple. Think about that for just a moment. There was nothing there when Abraham showed up with a couple of servants and a donkey and an only son. In 2 Chronicles 3 and verse 1, the Bible says this, Then Solomon began to build the house of the Lord at Jerusalem in Mount Moriah. For hundreds of years, God saw hundreds of thousands of lambs slain. Pastor and Mrs. Scott, you were in Jerusalem recently. This would have been the location where where Abraham brought Isaac. God saw. Year after year, God saw the lambs. He saw their throats cut, letting out one last bleat before death. And for all of those years of bloodshed, God saw... God saw the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world. He saw the Lamb of God slain for the sins of all mankind. In Mark 15 and verse 34, the Bible records, At the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which, being interp- which is being interpreted, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And you see, 2,000 years before that happened, God saw all of that. And here we have this amazing picture in Genesis 22, of a father who represents the father and a son who represents the son. And you have a father who's willing to do what God has commanded him to do. And a son who's willing to do what his father is telling him to do. One last thing that God saw in this passage is God saw his only begotten son taking our place. And that is what we are reminded of tonight. God saw his son taking our place. He saw his son labor on that cross for six hours. Pulling against the nails to raise himself just to take another breath. First John two, it says, and he is the propitiation. Big word means substitutionary sacrifice. He was our substitute. For our sins. And then John says this, under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Luke 23 and verse 46 says, and when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, at 3 p.m., the ninth hour, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit, and having said thus, he gave up the ghost. He willingly laid down his life like Isaac was willing to do with his father on Mount Moriah 2,000 years before Jesus came. And this is what God saw. So before we were ever born, God knew our need of a Savior, and God had already provided for our need. Jesus Christ instituted the Lord's Supper so we would remember what God saw Because God wants us to remember how Christ's body was broken for us and how his blood was shed for us. Before we pray, and we'll sing again, I want to ask you, because there are two parts to this narrative. There's Abraham's part and then there's God's part. Abraham's part was to love God supremely and to obey him and to trust him completely. How are you, how am I doing in that part? Because God has a plan for me, has a plan for you. How are we doing in that part? And then on the other part, God's part, remember this. God sees. Jehovah Jireh. God sees. God already knows the needs. By the time I realize I have a need, he's been working a long time before then to meet that need. We need to trust him. We can. Take your hymnals.